Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Season five begins. Nice. The season of the audience this is going to be a good one. Oh, this is not yeah. a forgotten gem. Today we are doing Mike Field's favorite movie. No, that's incorrect. How do you let some guy talk to you like that? That's yeah. You never once did I smile. Never once did I laugh. While I watched this movie with a, my mouth agape, I could actually feel my soul leave my body. Hi, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. As you may know already, each episode we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it's because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. But this season, we're not picking the movies. You, the audience, have selected our films. We're going to discuss what we love, like, or maybe not like about your movie, but we thank you for sharing your passion for the film. And as always, we recommend that everyone revisits the movie we're talking about this week. You never know, you could discover your own forgotten gem. If you enjoy our podcast, please let everyone know by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. All right. That was really good. That was good. <laughs> Don't start with the voices. No, it's already, it's, already, it's already happened. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh-huh. Uh, enough. <laughs> so... If you were listening last week, you know that we are doing an Elvis Presley movie this right now. Obviously, if you have listened to Mike do his little Elvis impersonation. What's up? <laughs> that's not Elvis Presley. He doesn't say what's up? I never think. Uh, no, no, I do not ever think he's ever said that. Um, <laughs> so anyways, this. <laughs> wow. Before we get into the movie, we're going to say that this movie this week was suggested to us and we chose it um, by G.I. Gary V. That is uh, his name on Twitter. Is uh, he is at I G G A R Y B, and I'm just going to read his Twitter handle or his Twiddle, excuse me, his Twitter description. Mostly kid toys from the 80s, particularly GI Joe, some big boy toys too, and comics contributed to Pina Comics. Now, if you were listening to this podcast regularly, you know in episode two of this season we did John Amenta's choice for Pina Comics uh, was the Phantom. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so that that just kind of still some synergy there for you. Before we get started, we wanted to let everyone hear why this was chosen why mr gi gary v decided to choose this as a forgotten summer why he thought this was forgotten what movie what movie did he choose i didn't say it you only said it's an elvis presley i apologize so the movie that he chose was king creole it's from 1958 Um, we'll get into what it's about we'll get into the facts but first here's why he chose it Hi, this is Pina Comics six-packer G.I. Gary. You may know me best from listening to the Pina Comics podcast or watching the Pina Comics YouTube channel. I do more on the YouTube side, doing reviews. COVID-19 has changed my schedule, so I actually am working more and I can't do reviews. But anyway, I digress. Forgotten Cinema reached out to listeners for suggestions for video for movies to review and i chose 1958's king creole it's my favorite elvis presley movie primarily because of the awesome soundtrack now the soundtrack is much more deep south inspired specifically new orleans louisiana and elvis's affinity for that seems to come through both the music 
and the movie itself. And one thing that I always thought was interesting was that his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, didn't really want him doing this music genre, and he wanted Elvis to continue to do the pop stuff to be the absolute superstar that he was. So by moving Elvis into more rom-coms in the following decade, this just makes a movie stand out even more on its own, I feel. And that might be what makes me look through this movie with more rogues colored glasses than what really it does. Now, it's been a little while since I last watched it, but I do remember the actors really doing a great job with their direction. Now, everybody's giving 110%, and it seems like more than what should be needed for an Elvis movie. But I saw, I see an an Elvis that's young. He's putting a lot of energy and effort into it, doing his best to be an actor, even though you can also see his inexperience at the craft as well. Now, this, the main supporting characters, Carolyn Jones, you know, who would be better known as Morticia Adams or Walter Matthau, better known as a comedian, they seem to also be putting that same fourth of energy because they're just seems to be an energy in the room that they're feeding off of and everybody's just putting a great effort into it and it just really something that I do enjoy watching every so often and like I said the soundtrack is a favorite and it's on semi-regular rotation when I'm into when I'm in the music mood oh wow okay excellent excellent mm-hmm. that, I didn't, I'm sure those were good points I didn't understand why he chose about when we listened to his description, his explanation. Now I, I'm fully aware. I'm this fully aware. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> all right. So we are doing King Creole, as I said. Do you want to tell everyone what it's about first? you want me to go through all the, the nuts and bolts? I can tell people what it's about. Go first. ahead. Why don't you give us the synopsis? All right. This synopsis was written by J26 from IMDb. Uh, We're just shouting out everybody right now. I, I like to get, they, they wrote them. I'm, I'm going to give them credit. Randos, man. Randos. <laughs> Thanks, Rando J26. <laughs> Having flunked graduation for a second time and needing cash to support his crabby and thus unemployed father. I don't know about Krabby? That. Yeah, that's that's where that's Jeez. the one thing I take issue with. Danny Fisher takes a job as a singer in the King Creole nightclub. About the only joint around not run by smarmy crook Maxie Field, who wants him for his own place. He gets on pretty well with Field's floozy, though. And all this, plus his involvement with Field's hoods and with innocent five-and-dime store assistant Nelly, means Danny finds his world closing in on him Always round. Did he really call Ronnie his feels floozy? Uh, She's a little bit more in depth than that. That's his floozy. I feel like this was like written in 1950s talk. So like, <laughs> that's why I kind of like it. You Maybe you should have. As soon as I saw that he called him the floozy, I was like, I'm, I'm reading this. One. You should have read that like you were like some New York street hood. I can redo it. If no, you no, you're done. You're good. Having flunked no, graduation no, no, for a second no. time. I said no. I said no. So King Creole has a runtime of 116 minutes and rated PG. Production budget of, I don't know. Opening weekend, I don't know. Domestic, I don't know. Worldwide, I don't know. There's no, I couldn't find it. So I'm, I'm, I'm. Why do we keep you around? I have no idea. It was released on July 2nd, 1958, which was a Wednesday. Produced by, production company was Hal Wallace Productions. And it was distributed by Paramount Pictures. Now, as you know, when we do older films, mostly this is the oldest film we have done, correct? Because we've done 70s. We have we've not gone below the 70s. Really? All right. right. Have we? We I know we have stuff on the list that's really old, but I don't know if we have not. No, we have not. Because. Oh, no. When was um, we did we did Night of the Hunter. 
When was that? 40? 43? That, that was also 50s, I believe. Uh, was but it 50s? I believe so. I, it might have been older than this. I think it was older than this. So boom. Okay, so this is... Okay, so that's it's, fine. It's still one of the very few we've ever done that's right. this, uh, this old. Well, my point was that it's really difficult to tell you what opened that same weekend because that's not how movies came out back then. They Night just, of the 100 is two years, three years younger. Wow. Okay, so this wasn't the oldest. All right. Well, I take that back. But like I said, it's I can't sit there and be like, you know, uh, King Grill came out up against because it doesn't really. It just is out and there's only, you know what I mean? There's not one that movie, movie houses, usually, Right. Yeah. And I'm sure people who I, I this message is going out to the people that were born in 2000. So if you don't understand how movies were back for 50, 60, 70 years ago, it was not as many movies as they are now. So anyways, so while this came out on July 2nd, I'm just going to throw you some movies that came out that same year just to kind of give you an idea what was out around then. Closest to it was uh, May 19th. Well, you had Attack of the 50 Foot Woman. That's my birthday. Ah, nice. May 9th, you had Vertigo, the Hitchcock movie. In April, April 23rd, you had Touch of Evil. Ooh. Yes, very good. The uh, Orson Welles movie. Uh, then you had, in September, you had Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Paul Newman star, mm -hmm. and The Seventh Seal, which was in October. Now, I just wanted to list some movies that people might have heard of before. I didn't go through the entire 1958 catalog, but... Just kind of give you an idea what came out around the same time. This movie is directed by Michael Curtis. If you know who he is, he is the Academy Award director for Casablanca. He also did White Christmas and Mildred Pierce. Written by Herbert Baker and Michael Gazzo. Now, Baker has done The Silencers, The Jazz Singer. He's more popular, more known for his TV show Flip. And he also wrote the John Denver Muppets Christmas special. Just kind of throwing that out there. Now, Michael Gazzo is not a writer per se. That's not where his bulk of his fame is known for. He played Frankie Pentageli. Pentageli? No. He played Frankie Penchali. I don't know. He, he was in Godfather Part Two. Um, he's also in Black Sunday. Now, this is based on a book by Harold Robbins. The book was called A Stone for Danny Fisher. Obviously, the lead character is Danny Fisher, which is played by Elvis Presley, which we'll get to. Mm -hmm. Cinematography. Please. Were you doing the... Oh, the, oh no. Uh, that's okay. a, but I like that you're looking out for it. Cinematography. I'm sure. on like high alert. <laughs> Cinematography by Russell Harlan. He was nominated for The Big Sky. He's been nominated for six movies for cinematography for six Academy Awards and never won. For Big Sky in 1952, Blackboard Jungle in 56, Atari in 62, and To Kill a Mockingbird in 62. So in the year 1962, this guy was nominated for two Academy Awards for cinematography. It was in the, he was competing against himself, and he lost. That's probably why he lost. I agreed. He was nominated for The Great Race in 65 and Hawaii in 66. Very well done. I think if you're so good that you're nominated twice in one year, you've pretty much just, you should just win. Honestly, when I was younger, <laughs> when I was younger and you first start watching movies and you start and you see people coming up, they're like, oh, it's just an honor to be nominated. And you're just like, heck no. But, but, but as you get older, you're like, no, it really is. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Composer uh, was Walter Scharf. He did uh, an uncredited composing uh, for Funny Girl and Walkie on Walking Tall and Ben. And Scharf, which I hope I'm saying his name right, is actually nominated for 10 Oscars. Never won. But they're mostly songs like from Funny Girl, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and obviously Ben as well. Produced by, like I said, Halby Wallace. Uh, he has uh, been nominated for The Rose Tattoo as producer. These have been Best Picture nominations. The Rose Tattoo, Beckett and Anne of a Thousand Days. He was also He's also gone on to produce True Grit. Casablanca, as we said before, which was directed by Curtis, Maltese Falcon, Sons of Katie Elder. So Wallace, uh, big time producer. He had some big names in this. Oh, of course. I also wanted to mention, because I talked about the novelist, Harold Robbins, and he wrote the book that they based the movie on. And the one thing I have from him, he has a quote. 
that I actually think there was like a, they did like a documentary or they were about writing or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's about him, but he has a quote where he's like, I'm the world's best writer. There's nothing more to say. I actually like that quote. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, so Danny Fisher is the main character. He is played by Elvis Presley. You know who the king is, right? Everyone. Uh, no. you, there you go. Uh, he's been in such movies as Tickle Me, Girls, 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 and Blue Hawaii, but obviously he's the king, so that's probably what he's more known for. Carolyn Jones plays Ronnie. She is not a floozy, as that uh, description that Mike no, recently said. She was nominated for Oscar in The Bachelor Party. She's also in House of Wax and the 58 version of Invasion of Body Snatchers. She's in The Seven Year Itch, The Man Who Knew Too Much as well. And Walter Matho plays Maxie Field, who's nominated for an Oscar in The Fortune Cookie. Excuse me, he won the Oscar for The Fortune Cookie. He was nominated for the movie Koch. And the Sunshine Boys is also in the Odd Couple movie, not TV show, the movie, Grumpy Old Men series, and the front page. Have you ever seen the front page? They kind of redid it a little bit with Burt Reynolds and Christopher Reeve, the kind of a news station, but the front page is a play. There are a bunch of reporters at a prison, and someone's about to be executed, but he was wrongly executed, so they hide him, and they try to like prove who, that he didn't do it. You I, know, have, I have not seen this movie. You would probably like the movie, and mm -hmm. I bet you you'd probably like, you'd want to be in the play. I'm sure I would want to be in the play. I want to be in everything. <laughs> <laughs> Front page is really good. We but it should, does sound interesting. Yeah. It is. It's 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 a good movie. All right. So Nellie is played by Dolores Hart. Nellie is Danny Fisher's kind of love interest. I should say Ronnie is as well, which we'll get into. She is um she was in Come Fly with me, Francis of Assisi and Where the Boys Are. But Nellie, Dolores Hart, became a nun in 1963. And she's a prioress of the Roman Catholic Abbey of Regina Laudis in Bethlehem, Connecticut, where she resides today, Butler. Oh, wow. So if you want to go talk to Ms. Hart, probably take a ride out to Bethlehem and say, hey, how you doing? I'm all right. <laughs> oh, I'm going to ask her about this movie. So anyways, that's right, that's that, fine. I thought that was a little Connecticut connection there. I like it. I like it. I like it. Dean Jagger plays Mr. Fisher, which I don't understand why he didn't have a first name. He's the, Danny's father. He was he won an Oscar for 12 O'Clock High. He was also in White Christmas at Vanishing Point. Vic Morrow plays Shark, the tough that Fisher goes up against that towards the end. He, Vic Morrow is probably more known for, he passed away while he was doing the Twilight Zone, the movie. Uh, if you know about that, it's pretty, pretty bad. He's also Bad News Bears and he was in Combat, the TV show. Uh, and then Paul Stewart plays Charlie Legrand. Mr. Stewart was in Citizen Kane, Kiss Me Deadly, and In Cold Blood. I hope you have seen these movies. Mm -hmm. uh, fun fact, Vic Morrow is the father of Jennifer Jason Leigh. I didn't know if you know that. I did not know I that. I did not know that. So that's why I wanted to uh, kind of bring it up. Okay. So that's kind of, you know, the facts of it, or as I say, the nuts and bolts. This is actually the first Elvis movie I've ever watched completely. Yeah. I've only seen bits and pieces right. of stuff like Blue Hawaii and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Like you, you see moments. So reading about it and going through it, and I guess we can go through like our, our thoughts about it in terms of what we thought of it. But did you know that this was originally supposed to be a James Dean vehicle? I can see that. So it was, it was meant to be, uh, it was meant to be like a gritty urban drama with James Dean. And it was supposed to take place in New York city and he was a boxer, but then when he passed away, so kind of the, the project went on the side and then they, when Presley, when they got Presley on, when they signed him on, they changed it to being a singer and it's at New Orleans because obviously there's a reason why, you know, you're gonna, yeah. you have Elvis Presley in a movie. He's going to do like eight numbers. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> the James Dean version would be less of a soundtrack advertisement. Oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> and I guess you kind of see some of that stuff in the movie. So I guess off the top, what what kind of stood out to you, I guess, upon your watch? Because this is probably the first time we both but watched this. Elvis ain't half bad. That's yeah, the well, first thing I noticed. Like, I, I was expecting him to be 
real bad. Really? Like, real bad. I was expecting it to be overly, huh, huh. <laughs> I got you, babe. But I think this is earlier on in his career, so he wasn't quite the king yet. Uh, oh, he was poppy. He was big time. Oh, I know he was yeah. big time by then, but he wasn't quite as as flashy, I think, at mm-hmm. that point. He's only 23 at this point in his mm-hmm. career. Playing uh, a 17-year-old. Playing a 17-year-old. That's all right. Uh, that's that's how we still do that today in movies. I hear you. <laughs> I, they, I hear you. But uh, I, that was the first thing I noticed pretty much right off the right off the bat. As soon as he having that conversation with his sister in the uh, the kitchen in the beginning, in the beginning, having right. breakfast, I was like, well, he, he's holding his own. It's, yeah. it's not bad right now. I have to laugh because before that, he's on he's singing the crawfish song. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then I saw the guy. I saw the guy with his little hand cart gumbo. I'm like nothing like fresh gumbo in the morning. But, <laughs> so they're all singing. And then the uh, the hookers across the way. They're way, well, yeah, come over. He's like, you're going to pay me. It's like, that's right. Hookers pay the king. The king. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my first note about the entire film was, uh, is this racist or is it racist? Because I, because I think it might be racist with them well, singing. I, it's just, I, I don't think so. I think that's a popular song. I, I don't know. I will I, tell you this. Uh, I want that nut hat that that dude had that hat. So they go around all the people that are obviously that are street merchants. Yeah. Working in the city, in the in city of New Orleans. I don't know what she has in her cart, but she's, you know, with the horse and buggy. I don't know what she's selling. She's saying it's crawfish. Oh, crawfish. It? Right. I'm sorry. I take <laughs> it back. The whole song is about I crawfish. I thought they were just singing about crawfish. <laughs> but the guy's got the gumbo. But he's singing a song about crawfish, too. So why wouldn't he be singing about gumbo? Because she's walking down the street I'm with the crawfish. But They're all they, singing back to her. But then they cut to the guy that has the nut hat. And it looks like the nacho hat from The Simpsons. <laughs> and he's got like, it's he's got it around his chin. And he's got the little top. And he's got all these hot nuts on top of his hat. Did you I miss him? Yeah. I might have missed him. I might have been. I, that's the first thing I noticed. So I was like, look at all those nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why is this crawfish lady going by so early in the morning? Because she got a, I don't know. I don't know how, craw- I don't, what do you, she got to catch him? Well, my, my, my knowledge of crawfish has to do from Forrest Gump. So I have no idea. <laughs> and what time in the morning is this? Because when it wet, when it rained? Well, no, he's, he's still got to go to work before he goes to school. School starts at eight. So. Does it school start at eight back then? That's what, well, that's what he says. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, how early in the morning is this? I know that it's New Orleans. So then I'm like, okay, well, bars are open 24 hours. You can if you want. Yeah. So. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I was just like, man. <laughs> All I know is that I want that hat that's got nuts on top of it. I do like that it took place in New Orleans. I do like the look of when they go outside. And obviously some of it's definitely a soundstage. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be like, especially that opening shot with the crawfish sales uh, lady. <laughs> crawfish seller, whatever you name her. Crawfish. Craw lady. Uh, when Craw lady comes by, she's selling it. That's definitely Bourbon Street or something on New Orleans. It's, it's, and New Orleans really has its own look, which is interesting because it's not New York City. It's not Chicago. It's not LA. It's New Orleans, which it has its own particular interesting modern, but also still Old West style look well, to back it. back then, definitely. Yeah, even kind of now. Well, I wonder how I wonder how hard it was to clear out all those streets. I wonder how I one of the things that uh, two things I, I asked myself, OK, did they clear out all the streets so that they can do this? And did they wet the streets themselves? You know, because yeah, he, purp- yeah. he purposely Curtis purposely shot this movie in black and white. He didn't like it wasn't like they didn't have color available. They already had they had color. He wanted to shoot it in black and white because he says that he wanted it for the ambiance. And he wanted to give the streets a noir feel. And that kind of works when they're in the alleyway, but even, but you know what I mean? When they're, when they're at the end and in the beginning, when they, they kind of steal and they go to the alley that works there. Right. Kind of like when they hit his father on top of the head, mm-hmm. that stuff, when they steal the money that works there too. I think the lighting in the film, I have a note about the lighting is really, really well done. 
the, the, the cinematography for the most part is really well well done. I'm not such a fan of the outside scene at the docks when Ronnie takes Danny away and oh, he, she's healing him. That's got to be California, right? I would imagine. That's supposed to be Maine. Oh, is that supposed to be Maine? I assume she drove him up to Maine. That's a long drive. I, I but, know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I just figured it was just another place near New Orleans, but it could have been Maine. I just don't think that was lit as well. And I know it's, it was probably super bright, so it was tough to get right. those kind of cameras. Having used some of those cameras in college, like I know the light's yeah. quite a pain when, you're, when it's too bright or when it's too dark. Uh, well, let's talk about Ronnie and let's talk about Nellie. Because one, one of my notes and one of the things I didn't understand... Uh, in this movie. And I generally, on the whole, I, I enjoyed the film. And I mean, you know, you, I enjoyed watching him sing. So, I mean, that was fine with me, him doing his numbers and stuff. Oh, like so that. was yeah. I, yeah. But one of the things they had in here was, like, he was going back and forth with, like, who he was going to be with. And I didn't make any sense to me. Like, just, so, so basically, Ronnie is Maxie Fields' his girlfriend, but he kind of, like, pimps her out. Mm-hmm. When, when people come in to show people good there. So he doesn't, he views her as property. He doesn't view her as, uh, as somebody that he's in love with. Or right. Like yeah. that. He, when she, when she is needed to, when he needs her to, to sweeten a deal, he puts her in and she, I guess falls for Danny. I think pretty much immediate. As soon as he sings and he defends her, he stands up for her. And she's clearly older than him. She's supposed to be like in her, if he's 23, she's probably what in her thirties. Well, Elvis uh, is twenty three. His character is seventeen. 17. So she, I'm, I, I meant, I'm sorry. He's so she's probably supposed to be like in her late twenties, early thirties, or mid thirties. Uh, that's what I would assume. That's yeah, because yeah, Maxie's in his forties. He's got to be or late thirties. Well, Ma- well, Walter Matthau was thirty eight when he was filming this. But well, yeah. I have well, I have to laugh because Charlie Legrand, when he starts dating Danny's daughter, he's like, oh, I'd like to take her out. And he's like, well, what does a 40 year old do like with a 20 year old? I'm like, 40? You don't look 40. I had to look it up because it bothered me. And he was, was actually 50. I was going to say, but this is 1958 40, which is way different than uh, 2020 40. Yeah. And it's a little inappropriate, uh, Charlie. I mean, come on. I know you own a nightclub, but you should be taking out some 20 year old. Tell her you're 38. <laughs> <laughs> she was all for it, too. <laughs> she was all for that. I know I'm, she was all for that, but back to Nelly. So how he meets her is he goes in the shop, which is kind of like a, white elephant type thing like a everything yeah like but it's like busy and like i don't know how you don't have theft there because you don't have so many people but he goes around and starts singing and as he's singing like vic morrow and sharky and his gang steal stuff as they're singing isn't he so great and he he meets a girl there nelly who notices they're stealing she doesn't care because he asks her out so then Danny takes her and he's like, oh, we're gonna go to a party. We'll go to a party. Sure. Okay. And they oh. go, I know. And he takes her to this hotel and he goes to the guy and he's like, hey, where's the party? At? What party? You know, the party. And he throws him money to give him a room key, basically, because Danny's idea is that he's going to take her upstairs to the room and they're going to have some fun, obviously. And, you know, and she's like, gets completely like, obviously, it's inappropriate. No. Yeah. Obviously, it's just it's a it's a dick move. And she gets real upset because she likes him and like later on she's like it's not because you took me to the room it's because i really like you so let me get this straight this guy tries to make a play to get you into the room to basically have his way with you and that's still not a deterrent for you to be with him because he's you've just met him and you like him so much now i get this is 50 is 58 yep but so that that part of nelly's character the sister going out with Charlie Legrand and being okay with that. And then 
just kind of how Ronnie is treated, there is a pattern of just female characters and we don't care. You know, that's like a man writing for them. Oh, absolutely. And I know this is the 50s. And while I enjoy this movie, that is a little like, mm. yeah, <laughs> you're just kind of like, mm, come on now. <laughs> that's like, well, that's the most notes I wrote for one scene. It's like, what's your name, Nelly? What's yours? Rapey McRape, rape. <laughs> Seriously, it's really like, I thought you knew the score. And he's like, I, and to I like credit, you more than anybody you know. You don't know him. Yeah, to to the credit, he does. They still tilt. They still carry that on because when they're on the ferry, yeah, and he feels bad about he it. Still he still feels want to bad talk about, about it, it and and to that, I that's. But she gives him a thank you for not raping me kiss at the end, right? Like, <laughs> like his, a long one. His stuff where he was like sorrowful about. I'm real. I still think about that, and I really feel bad. I was like, okay, I, I, that that's fine. Right. But then when she's kind of like letting him off the hook, I'm just like, no, you really should not be on the ferry with him. And he's like, I want to show, and I love that. I want to show you something. What do you want to show me? And then he's looking, and he's like, that house right there. That's where we used to live, but we never see the house. So what? Like that 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 scene a little bothered me as well. I know I'm kind that of scene going was off poorly too. It was because there are cuts in that scene where he, so it's kind of over her shoulder or it's kind of sideways, and he's looking at her, and then then he cuts and he turns his head and it cuts to another shot where he's looking off in the distance and yeah. it's like on him, and then as he's looking off into the distance, they cut back and he's looking at her again, and it's like he didn't turn his head. How did this happen? Over his shoulder, he's looking away. And then over her shoulder, he's looking at the house. It's really. Now, I don't know if that's just. It's not really meticulously. I don't know. I don't. I I don't know. Back then, I I chalked it up to. You can't really review your footage day of. You got to wait for those dailies. We've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. So they probably shot the scene. Thought they got enough coverage. Thought Mm -hmm. they were good. Editors in the editing room. Mm -hmm. And he's just like shit and there's no way to redo it and they couldn't i would imagine let's put it this way they probably couldn't because this movie elvis had to ask for a 60-day deferment because he was drafted to the army in order to finish this movie so they granted to him so he did this movie and then after this movie he went right into the army Mm -hmm. so they probably didn't have access to him to redo the scene so yes so to that point i'm sure they couldn't do they were probably were hamstrung in, in, in terms of like redoing shots and kind of getting them to come back and stuff like that so well, let me ask you about the the song in the beginning, the first song he sings at King Creole. So okay. Was that Jailhouse Rock? Because it sounded like Jailhouse Rock. It was very similar to Jailhouse Rock. That was a lot of his early stuff was taking, and some black artists credit him for it. Some black artists don't like him for it. I understand. Is he brought it into the forefront, but he kind of Took it. stole it from them. Yeah. Although well, it well, did, him and the Colonel. It, it's not, I'm sure Elvis wasn't the only person complicit in that. Oh, absolutely. The Colonel who will be played by Tom Hanks in the, uh, Elvis biopic that's coming out. (laughs) Imagine if he was still, Elvis would still be alive today. That in 77 is 42. He'd be in his eighties. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a lot of his music was kind of like that was very jailhouse Rocky at first and then kind of country ish. And and then he kind of went and did a whole bunch of mishmash of different styles. Well, yeah, but that was his famous for the song sounded very similar to jailhouse rock Mm -hmm. in terms of just the tone. And I always love it. I my my favorite thing about movies, even back, even now they do it is just how convenient it is that the audience can dance within rhythm to the singer. So he's singing this, never seen this guy before in their entire life. He's up there singing jailhouse or whatever it is. I can't remember the name of the song. 
Then he hops down and starts dancing. And every four people in the front that they've got the camera, like, yeah, all right, yeah, let's do this. And they're just like dancing. I'm like, how do you know the moves? I just love how every every guy in every movie, ever, and this is this is movies today too, they can go up to a band, whisper three words in their ear, and they got the beat and tempo perfectly in sync with the person they've uh, just met singing. Marty McFly had no problem doing that in Back to the Future. Exactly. It happens so often. <laughs> so often. Well, we're not musicians. Maybe we don't understand that. Could no. I walk? Can I walk into you and be like, "We're gonna do this scene. Go. We're gonna do this with three, two, all right, guys. All right, and one, two. Follow my lead. Follow my lead. They're gonna. It's gonna. Maybe they can get there, but it's gonna take them a minute. There's gonna be a minute of. <laughs> like, I'm not in tune. I'm not in tune. Get out. Get out. <laughs> um, the other thing, one of I know we're kind of nitpicking stuff or just bringing, you know. But so when they find so this, the father is attacked by Shark and the gang. Is it Sharky or Shark? It's Shark, right? Uh, Hang it, on. It's Shark. It's Shark on there, but I'm pretty sure he calls I, him Sharky. I'm going to get to Shark in a second. <laughs> but they're atta- the father's attacked by him and he's knocked out or whatever. He's got a concussion. They they kind of say he's got blood on the brain or something like that. Yeah. They're, so it's all basically a ploy to get him indebted to Maxi Fields. And as the new doctor shows up and they're like, we're going to fix him up, he starts crying because he's upset because Danny kind of wanted to set this up to help his dad out. And it wasn't supposed to be his dad. It, it wasn't supposed, supposed to be, to be the dad. Physician, right. The physician owner who right. was kind of a, a dick to his right. dad. So he's crying. He's upset. The sister's upset. They're hugging. Charlie's there. And then if you look to Nelly behind them, she's smiling. <laughs> she's just like, I'm like, what? <laughs> Your father's dying. Oh, thank God. Oh. Freedom. I'll have him for my own now. <laughs> but let me get the shark. So when you're a jet, you're a jet. All the way. First of all, <laughs> I don't know how tough a gang leader can be when he's wearing a cardigan. And that's only after he works with Maxie Fields, though. But, but but regardless of that. So. When Danny comes back, so Danny meets Ronnie. Uh, he saves her from these drunks who apparently can close up the bar at the, at the end of the night. They're fine. He just leaves. He takes and and they drop him off at school. Ronnie gives him a big, big kiss and, oh, and he walks down. Some dude says something and he punches him. So after school, the guy's brother or friends is Shark in the gang. Shark in the gang. Shark is the kid who Danny beat up his brother. Right. They could come walk with us and they take him that alley. They're going to beat him up. And Shark yeah. pulls a knife and Danny grabs the knife and puts him in a chokehold. And then Shark completely bitches out and is like, hey, man, it's just, oh, you fight dirty. I'm like, and then, oh, like, man, he really got off on that fight and dirty. And, and, <laughs> and then, like, he leaves. And I'm thinking about the other gang members going, your leader just got choked out and he bitched out right after that. Why are you still with him? He's clearly not good. Like, he's, he's a punk. <laughs> I was just, why is Shark? Oh man, you're fast. I, I want to use you as a singer. <laughs> I hear you can sing. We want to, we gotta do this really big jewelry heist. We require a singer and a guitar. <laughs> Why don't you just wait at night when everyone is closed and just break in and steal everything? Why does it have to be in midday in front of 50 women? Also, I'm sorry, you're going into my store. You're distracting everyone by singing. Everyone's flocking around. You're causing a nuisance in my store. Get out. <laughs> Get out! But they show the like, dude. They're just like, oh, look at the sweet sound. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I want stores with like a soda bar at the back of it. They used to be that way. I know that's that's awesome. Well, the stores used to be everything. You used to go to that's a general store. You know that? Yeah. Yeah. There's still general stores around. I'll be able to go in with my fiance to a store I don't like, like Yankee Candle or something. Be like, I'll be in the back in the soda bar. Sit down. Get some weird soda with like a soda uh, float and sit down and be like. All right, honey, bye. I'm trying to think of something like that now. Is there any place like that now? No? Wawa? 
joke. <laughs> I go to this coffee station while you look for snacks. <laughs> so this is actually one of Elvis's favorite favorites films he's ever done. And I think partially because of what you're saying that he they were able to showcase his acting ability. And I think like a lot of people going into it didn't really kind of like viewed Presley as somebody who couldn't handle it. But mm-hmm. after the fact, they were like when they were really impressed and, you know, he had, they all thought he had a career. And I think, you know, after this, he really doesn't do movies in terms of the dramatic element of movies. It's more about the songs and promoting Elvis. And he's, you know, he's always going to be singing. It's always about his persona as the right, king, yeah. and he's always going to get the girl and stuff like that. So um, that's probably this is probably one of the fewer ones that he's in that he's actually able to. It's not just about the music. It's about him. Right. The music almost feels tacked onto this. You can cut a lot of those songs. Oh, yeah. Which would make it a nice shorter movie, but oh, of course, yeah, I know it's, uh, two <laughs> hours cut, is a bit long. Yeah, you can cut those songs and it would still be fine. Uh, movies from the the fifties always run a little too long for me. I, I don't know what it is, and I think part of that comes with there's always that twist, and I wrote it down in this one too. There's that twist at the end that comes out, and it's like here's another plot thread that we're gonna throw at you right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, it's. You know, he has no choice but to work for for Maxie Fields when he signs that paper. So you get this whole plot, blah, blah, blah. You've been leading up, leading up. You're leading up to the dad getting smacked over the head, having the surgery. Nothing really comes of it. And then, boom. All right. Now I'm going to blow up the store. Now I'm going to blow up uh, King Creole. I'm going to tell your dad that you set him up. And now you're all of a sudden, now you're in a new plot string where now he did sign the papers. When the movie has been about him not signing the papers. Yeah, it's it's um, that's about yeah. 20 minutes before the end. And then they drive off to and I think. Part of my when I was talking about, you know, whether he was he was back and forth between Ronnie and Nellie. There's really no like you want one love interest. I think that's a remnant of the book. And I think you could cut that out now or or even back then you could cut Nellie out. I believe in the in the relationship between him and Ronnie more than I do between him and Nellie. Yeah. And he's got a lot more in common with Ronnie. He spends more time with Ronnie. They're more honest with each other. Nellie is just into Danny and Danny wants really nothing to do with her, but loves her. But she's the second choice. Like she clearly is the second choice. Cause after you knew Ronnie was going to get shot in the back after yeah. Ronnie gets shot by Maxie. Cause Maxie's just firing wildly on this pier and uh, he kills Ronnie. And then the next scene, they, they kind of cross dissolve. And the next scene is him reopening a King Creole and he's singing. And then Nellie shows up and oh, and then this father shows up to hear him sing. And you're right. There's there's a couple there's just moments in there that it feels like there's pieces of stuff from different movies put together. Yeah. And it's also as soon as he comes back, he's like, King Creole, he's back. It's just like uh, Danny's going to jail. <laughs> he murdered two or three people. Well, I Maxie love- Fields is gone and arrested, but like. He's dead. Oh, he's, he's, dead. Yeah, he's dead. Not arrested. I don't know why I said arrested, but also Maxie Field was big time in New Orleans. And there's no proof that he was a villain. So he's responsible for the murder of like four people, including a hugely influential New Orleans figure. Well, let's also be clear here because Ronnie tells Danny, everyone's looking out for you. The whole everything's looking out for you. I've only seen four members of the gang and three of them were the hoods in the alleyway that he clearly didn't have a problem beating up. So where was this giant gang that Maxie ran? And no one's got guns. Maxie didn't give anybody guns other than himself. Like he's he wants Danny dead now. Mm-hmm. Not on his side, not beat up so that he can coerce him to work for him again. He wants him dead. Give these guys some guns so they could do the job. Yeah. 
Well, maybe guns are. I mean, again, this is the fifties, so guns might not be that easy to find back then. You well, know, guns are always easy. Not to like find. switchblade, yo. This is, this is after prohibition. This is this is everybody's mobbed up. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that it's it's fair to note that we are coming from viewing stories that are more polished. You know what I mean? So oh, you're talking oh, for about sure. the beginning of Hollywood almost. Well, not the beginning, but kind of in its early stages. So, And this is this is a Hollywood that's got more rules and restrictions placed on it. People have to talk a certain yes. way. They can't do certain things. I Correct. Mean, this is 58. At this point, you can't show a husband and wife sleeping in the same bed at this right. point. So. How honest can you be in terms of what real life is back then? So I will say, though, that doesn't... Ex- I mean, I while I understand how the females are written in this movie, knowing the time period... It still doesn't make it okay. And if Not you read at all, this yeah. movie now, you probably you would have to correct that. Obviously, you'd have to correct that if you redid the book. But yeah, so I mean, just I will say this: there's there's a piece of dialogue in here that I really liked. There's some good lines, but no, the I, one, yeah, I've got some written down. Yep. So my the my, one of the lines that I one of the exchanges that I really liked was the exchange between Ronnie and Danny in the right before he beats the crap out of Maxie. Yep. Is it before he beats the crap out of him or? During before he signs the it's letter, before he signs the letter, right? And she, he goes, "God gave you the charms, which you ain't using them correctly." And she's like, "That's funny." And I read the direction so carefully. Yeah, I, I thought that I was have that down awesome. Too. Yep, that was a I really good line. Awesome, uh, that line that she delivers to him. I just, I don't know. I just really liked it. What other lines did you have there? Well, like I said before, I, I've still got. Is there anything a man of forty says to a woman of twenty? <laughs> I'm thirty eight. There's a line in one of his songs. You know, we talk about problematic lines. <laughs> Where he goes, makes you glad you were born a man. Oh, yeah. Or he's singing through one of the songs about being a man in New Orleans. So, uh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those, those are the, the main lines I've got written down. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that line of, that's funny. I read the instructions so well. Yeah. It's such a good line. Yeah, I also wrote line. that down. Yeah. Um, let's talk about how the principal doesn't have any kind of jurisdiction over his own school. When he, when the teacher just says it's so because he's late. Yeah. You're the principal. If you don't, if just graduate him, if he just told you this sad story about how he's got to do all this stuff, you'd be like, you know what, Danny, don't worry about it. Uh, you'll, you'll yeah. graduate. That's him. why you're late and you passed all, you passed her class. Right. All right. You passed. I get it though. It's, you're going to hold him back three times. She, yeah. I mean, don't, okay. Uh, oh, you don't have to walk here. I'll give you the, I'll give you your certificate, but you're grad. I mean, come on. Yeah. Give me a break. That's a little ridiculous. Yeah. Old lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the reasons that, I mean, obviously, GI Gary V suggested this was he why he thought it was forgotten. I'm gonna say why I think it was forgotten was probably because it's old. It's an older film. People don't know it now. It's mm-hmm. 80 years old. No, well, yeah, 58, 60 years old. Excuse me, 60 years old. Yeah, 62 yeah. years old. Yeah. So nobody's really watching this movie unless you knew who Elvis was or you grew up loving Elvis or I mean you, anyone now that's you know like I said born in 2000 isn't going to find this movie which I was surprised though because we were able to get it on, on Amazon Prime oh, it's Elvis no I get that but like just movies that that I've I go through and we're trying to find and we can't find them at all right well, I think that's the pull of Elvis is, is stardom mm-hmm. even though it's I, I would say it's he's most of his fan base is getting older and older. It's, right. it's still quite a huge, uh, large fan base for Elvis. He's such a name. Yeah. He's such a figure in history akin to like the Beatles that you're going to find out all of his stuff at all times. Mm-hmm. I was surprised it wasn't free streaming that I had to pay for it, but that could be the Presley <laughs> estate. I was a little disappointed in that. Uh, 
But I also think it might be forgotten because it's not that happy-go-lucky blue Hawaiian type. Oh, right. Let's drive with the 50s and 60s. He's uh, right. Was that your Elvis? No, that was just some <laughs> Elvis fan. I think that's why Elvis really likes this film is it was him taken seriously. And the other ones are just him doing like his fun stuff, which I, I could care less for those type films. Like okay. I'm not, I'd like to see stuff like the like blue Hawaiian or whatever because it's so famous. But I knowing what I know about it and knowing some of the scenes I've seen, it's much more of a let's sell some records. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a, a, a slow burn crime movie that Elvis fans might not really be into well, as much. I don't know too much about his movies. All I do know is that they mostly take place in Hawaii. Do they? I, I don't, don't know. know. Do they? Or or like obviously California. I think probably that California. Like, probably don't yeah. have him go far, but yeah. And I know the World War Two movie he did is like a uh, basically like a puff piece, like rah rah USA. Oh, which sure. they were please, all back then. For please, the military I mean, movies. when you're as popular as he was, and somebody who is his his importance is more in terms of entertainment of the of the country. Right. When you go into the army, you're not doing anything on the front lines. No, right. I get that. Yeah. So I mean. He's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven songs from this movie that I don't know if he performed, but he sang and some, you know, well, he might have sung them all in the movie. He probably sings them, but dubs it over. A lot of the songs were like the big time, like ragtime songs where he really like belts it out like your jailhouse rock type song. Right. It seems like before he gets the screen part, he's kind of just faking it. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of like this, but he gets real it's like There's no, you look at his, his throat and stuff and until he finally gets to the actual screaming, there's no veins coming out. There's just very calm, very well, small well, words. They're playback. It's probably, he's just right. I, I get that. Yeah. yeah. So I think he performed it, but didn't perform them on stage. You think when he was doing the scene at the King Creoles, he was performing those on stage? No, really? I, maybe the acoustic stuff, but definitely not any of the, the more uh, Rocky jazz type stuff mm-hmm. none mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. okay. the acoustic stuff maybe yeah but uh i also think that this movie might be might have greater acclaim this movie might be something you watch in film class and stuff like that if it ended on more of that kind of noir feel like it's got that feel good ending mm-hmm. but i think if it ended with ronnie getting shot or it ended with danny going to jail for murdering people well, that's probably the James Dean version. That's exactly. Probably, that's, that, that's that's more of that's more of what you. That's what I expected to see once mm-hmm. they got to that ocean front. I'm like, this is going to end like it should. Yeah, you're no not happy endings, yeah. and it didn't. And yeah. it was just like Elvis behind bars. Yeah, because it's Elvis singing jailhouse rock, but like singing it like emo style, like when they take old <laughs> big songs, punk songs, and they turn them like jailhouse rock with me, like that, like really, yeah, yeah. Or maybe like have Danny <laughs> talk to his dad and be like, listen. You know, I, I didn't make it as something, but I stopped Maxie Fields. Maxie Fields gone. So I did something yeah. with my life. And then like, that's his thing. And that's like, not a great thing. You pan out. And you get those big like horns that 1950s. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Well, the I Paramount get, logo well, goes. I well while while I enjoy Presley in this movie, I wonder if I would like this movie more with the with the urban gritty with James Dean which the director of Casablanca Curtis behind it with you you know I think that might be a a better movie that I would enjoy more maybe rather than this I was surprised how much I did enjoy this how much it kept me interested but yeah I think a slightly grittier one would have been better uh, less less puff in terms of like maybe the fights R- right and the and how they depicted violence mm. 
Well, what about the father? Because the father, they, they set the father up to be like, I got the impression that he was a drunk in terms of like at first before you meet him. Right. Yes. And then and, you meet him and he's not, and he's not like they, then they were like always oh, a sad sack. And, 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 and then I just got the impression that Danny was being a little unfair. How do you let some guy talk to you like that? That's and, yeah. You, you hear about him through Danny's eyes. Yeah. But then you realize he's not that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And he's a little bit of a pushover. The father. The yeah, father but what's yeah. he supposed to do? He's got a job. That guy's a dick. I love that guy. I want to hire someone young. You're right. just as old as him. The other thing is, like, I want a younger man. I was like, I bet you do. And they have that <laughs> owner there, and then you never see the guy again. Hire him. All right, where's the application? We don't have any. Well, then hire him. It's like, well, is that all it takes? I, I gotta do that. I'm gonna go to. He didn't like being called older in front of the other older guy. Yeah. But I also thought more would come of that whole "you don't know how to fill prescriptions" thing. Like I thought yeah. that was gonna be like a subplot where the father finally stands up. Maybe it was. Excuse me. And goes, listen, you're filling prescriptions wrong. That's dangerous. This is how you do it. Mm-hmm. And like the owner finally realizes that guy's got to go and Danny's dad becomes the head of the pharmacy. This probably goes to what you were talking about earlier in terms of the book. The, there seemed to be a lot of, a lot of different threads that didn't make sense, but they kind of wove them together anyways. I know I said that, but, <laughs> but that, that was what you were saying before. Yeah. So maybe that, like you said, there was stuff with the father in the book that had to do with, and, and Danny more there. I would imagine there's more with the father and Danny. Maybe more with the sh- with Shark and Danny because mm-hmm. it feels like they're building up this friendship that eventually goes sour that really isn't there in the film. I don't know. Danny's like a real it. jerk to him half the time. Exactly. Not that Shark's That's... a nice guy, but like Danny's just like a real jerk right. to everybody almost. And the dad, I- I'd be interested to see if in the novel the dad comes back and watches that last performance. No, oh, because the dad left thing. Danny to die. Uh, Danny oh, basically my God, left right? him to die. He's bleeding out. I just picture the next morning he opens the door. He's like, there's no blood all over here. Yeah, whatever. Well, maybe that's why he felt bad and went to the thing, but it's just like, yeah, I would imagine maybe in the original novel, Danny's dad just kind of disowns him because I would. Well, apparently, like the daughter's <laughs> going to get married to the owner of King Creole. Mm-hmm. Danny's going to consistently play there for the rest of his life. Obviously, he's going to marry Nellie. I, I guess they're going to I don't know. They're supposed to be like they're not living in a great part of town, apparently. Cause because they lost their house and all that stuff. They're living like right off Bourbon Street and right. stuff, right? But, I mean, honestly, it's not that bad. <laughs> Maybe back <laughs> then it's bad. I don't know. I mean, the the the, the hookers are very nice. They're, they're very nice. Very nice hookers. To, great hookers. They said that he could come over for free. They paid him back. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. So, for those of you, I mean, for those who don't really watch a lot of older movies, I. Don't think you can't do wrong watching this. If you like, if you like Elvis Presley, you like the King, you like music, go for it. It acts. He's the acting's good. The cinematography's uh, very good. It is. You have a lot of, like you said, when I was going through the list of people who made this movie, you have a lot of great, great talent behind this movie. So you, that side of the film is not something that's flawed at all. You've got a great director. You've got a great cinematographer. You've got, you've got quality people. So you you're good. You have what's on screen is is well done so you can't knock that yeah i mean michael curtis is quite made probably arguably the greatest movie of all time i mean i'm not i don't believe that i'm saying arguably mm-hmm. but like you know casablanca is a, is a classic to the point when somebody tried to remake it when ben affleck's like oh, i'm gonna remake it people were like in an uproar yeah you're not remaking that movie oh, i thought he was doing the sequel no he talked about he how wanted to do they the were first it first came out that him and lopez were gonna remake it and people went ballistic and like, you're not doing that. And and don't make, you don't need to make no, a you sequel. Don't, you don't no. remake Casablanca and you don't remake Citizen Kane. No. 
Agreed. There are some things you just don't touch. I will. Yeah. Th- uh, I was. I was sitting there thinking. thinking I was it. trying to think about. Would I like a Citizen Kane remake? Probably not. No. It's, it is the the movie. I don't That's know about, Orson Welles' movie. I don't know That's too much. I know, like, I've seen Casablanca, mm-hmm. and I and I enjoy it, and I like a lot of stuff. But I I know a little bit more about like Citizen Kane, like the stuff that he did when he shot it, like. You know, you get the low angle. Like he, he creates he, so many right. things. Right. I love the story when he he did the low angle. He basically chopped up the floorboards. Yep. Like I thought that was awesome. Like yeah, but like that movie kind of set forth in motion how movies were going to be done, which is why that movie is so fantastic. And mm-hmm. I, I really, and I've only seen parts of it, and I really wish they still had the Orson Welles cut of uh, the Magnificent Ambersons. Because that's supposed to be fantastic. Oh, and, really? And I've never and I've never been able to kind of I've never been able to watch it completely through. But I've always ever since they said like there's a different cut out there that's gone forever. I'm just like, damn it! <laughs> it's some somewhere someone's got it. Hopefully, they just got to refurbish it. Hopefully, in bad shape. Hopefully, but anyways, go ahead. You were saying. Uh, I thought it was interesting that the, we talk about how great the movie is. One thing that, and I guess older movies can't help this, but I noticed is ambient sound goes away. Very quickly in films, when you cut mm. to an in, from an outdoor to an indoor location, that has everything to do with the time. Exactly, it, it must have been very hard to cut the audio on the tape mm-hmm. to fade. Mm-hmm. But that always is very jarring to me when they're like out. Danny's dad is outside before goes to the pharmacist's office, and you hear the horse clomping, mm-hmm. and then immediately he opens the door, and you cut inside, even though the door's still open. You hear nothing. From yeah, the outside. No, it's like you said. It, it's probably I would assume that you're able to do some of it, but it takes a lot of time to get it right. Right. And if you don't have time to get to get these movies done and out and out and into the world, it's probably not worth it. It's, right. it's just a small detail and stuff like that. Right. The other thing I noticed that I wanted to point out before we finish up yeah. is the poster image that I saw. It's colorized. It's called, not only colorized, but has the banana girl on it. He's singing to oh, the banana girl. Yeah, you're so right. Many other different posters. It's like she has one scene, which is there for obvious reasons. What reason is that, Mike? <laughs> uh because she's got legs and a tight outfit. <laughs> and she's throwing bananas at people? Oh, yeah. She's very uh, not subtle. <laughs> but I, I, I just thought it was like, he has two love interests in this film, and neither one are the one <laughs> the poster image. <laughs> there is one poster image where he's kissing Nelly, and then the rest all had the banana girl on it. <laughs> that, that tells me that when the people that were probably creating the promotional images for this movie i mean obviously that was done later on they probably only watched 30 minutes of the movie and they're like all right just do the poster image of the banana girl they probably didn't even get to the other stuff well that banana girl's got a full five minutes it's only five minutes i watched (laughs) do it i saw elvis with the guitar in one scene this all sounds great (laughs) um yeah so all right so yeah so i mean check it out like you said all this whole season we're doing audience suggestions if you saw the video that kind of premiered you, 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 if you read it real quick, maybe you didn't catch them all the names in there. But next week, we're going to be doing a movie that I have never seen uh, called, called Uptown Girls, who came out in 2003. Two in a row. Uh, let's see. I've never seen one, two. I've done, so we've got Uptown Girls coming up. I've seen the one after that your mother suggested that we're doing. Um, I haven't seen 1114. I haven't seen folks. But three I see. Okay, anyways. So we're doing Uptown Girls. And that was suggested to us by Berker Fanar. Now he's a friend of Russ Lyman, who's a friend of the show. Okay, uh, he's actually uh, when I went on to his, I he when he suggested this through Facebook. When I went on his page, he's from Iceland, so I don't know how he knows Russ. Oh, I think I, Do you know I think him? I know that guy right. too. Yeah, so, he's a cool. fan of he's a fan of two player bros. He's and he's he listens to the show. And he's a fan of so he's just you know which is cool. So that's why I wanted to do it. And obviously we try to do movies that we never would have picked ourselves. So I think Uptown Girls has Brittany Murphy in it. 
I believe you are yeah. correct. Yeah. So that's what we'll be doing next week. We'll be doing Uptown Girls. And um, yeah, I don't know. You got anything else? I got nothing. You gonna want to? You want to? Should I let people know where they can find us? Oh, well, I can let people know where they can find us. But you I can, can do it too. Oh, I can do it better. Okay. Or you can find us at. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, I'm I'm shutting that down right now. <laughs> you, can, you can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com where we have all our episodes, older and newer, and a link to our merch page as well, where you can buy our branded merch, which I know you guys love. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. On at Forgotten Cinema Pod, we post every week uh, different posts about the episodes. We post little commercials every week as well about the episodes we got coming up. Little, there's well shorter, okay, short okay. short form commercials. I got you. And you can also find us our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, wherever podcasts can be found, and wherever you're listening, please rate, review, and subscribe, and let everyone that you know. Yeah, that's know about our podcast. We don't know. I was saying this to my wife the other day because she's like, well, how did you get a lot of subscribers? I go, we don't know when people subscribe to Apple Podcasts. I don't know why we don't know. We don't get that information. Mm -hmm. But what we do get are the reviews and the ratings. So that's the best way for us to know that you guys are out there listening is if you kind of rate it and review it. I know nobody likes to do that because nobody wants your opinion. But even if you just say, I love the show. Thanks a lot, guys. That's it. Just so we know that, hey, we got fans. Woo! So we can feel good about ourselves. <laughs> and if you guys have any movie suggestions, we know this is a season four movie suggestions, all of them. But we still pepper them out throughout our seasons. Right. So if you guys have a suggestion, hit us up on social media or email us at ForgottenCinemaPod at gmail.com. Absolutely. Uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Join us next week uh, for Uptown Girls. Again, I am Mike Field. And I am Mike Builder. Uh -huh. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. Ugh. <laughs> can't argue with the king I can't because you're not the king oh, I could be. <laughs> do you know Elvis was blonde and he dyed his hair black I, did, I knew that now I guess that's right nice job thank you oh yeah <laughs>